Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. Pastor Larry Crudup from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Oklahoma City joins us this week. How is the gospel good news if it does not set free the oppressed? What does a gospel that liberates look like in this complex moment in history, in Oklahoma City, in America, in the world? What precisely should Christians believe we are saved from? And what exactly are we saved for? When I mentioned something about this on Twitter the other day, a kind person who pastors a church um, had replied and said, you know, I would like to do something with the conversation format for a sermon. Can you give some guidance on that? Well, of course, I've never planned anything. So I was like, um, no, no, my, my only, my only idea here is I'm going to like just pitch some softballs to the man of God here and just let him go. Just like, let him go. And we're going to have fun. So, um, but we are very honored, uh, to have Pastor Larry Crudup with us tonight. Pastor Larry Crudup pastors the Tabernacle Baptist Church here in town. Um, he is, um, he's an amazing, amazing man. Uh, he has a, a, a BA from Belmont University in Nashville. He has a master's degree from Southern Methodist University. He's currently pursuing a doctor of philosophy and interdisciplinary studies with a concentration in ethical and creative leadership from Union Institute and University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And as I mentioned already, such a dynamic preacher and leader. And we just feel especially honored, especially when I know you've preached today and already done your thing, um, that you would take time on a Sunday to come and be with our community and share your heart. So without further ado, everybody, would you join me now in giving a very warm welcome to Pastor Larry? Would you do that? Well, Pastor, first of all, Thank you for being willing to be with us. It's so good to have you. Really is an honor. Thank you for having me. You know, this is not my first time being at the table. Uh, my wife really loves the table, so we try to get around here once a month. Sometimes we don't uh, get a chance to do that, but it's been wonderful um, since the table started. We we really appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. Well, and you being here, it was such a big deal to me that you were here our very first night to bless us and commission us. That was so so meaningful. And I'm just, you know, I'm I'm new to Oklahoma City, but you were one of the first um, pastors I heard about where all, all of my friends here, I guess it probably was, I think, Cece first. And, you know, I listened to Cece about everything who said, like, this is a man that you need to know. And um, I, I'm just I'm just so glad that to have this opportunity, of course, we and I know this is broad, but we kind of we tentatively decided to, to title this conversation a gospel that liberates and um, a lot of different directions we could go with that. And I want to go with that, but I, I'd love to just ask you first, um, pastor, just to reflect, cause I think this is kind of my Krista Tippett question. I would love if you could say something about your earliest memory of the presence of God, as you would understand it. What was your first experience of God that you, that you felt that was pronounced to you in some way? Uh, I would always say that the the first presence of God that I felt was through my mother. Mm. Um, um, when when I talk to people about my call in ministry, my idea about church or God or what it means to be a minister, I always talk about my mother. Um, according to my mom, 
I was lining up bears and stuffed animals and preaching to them at a very, very young age. Um, some of that I can't remember, but I do remember when I was five. Um, this is like, you know, my typical, I grew up in church, but uh, five years old, I, I had a strong sense of God's presence in my life. Um, uh, so much so that, you know, in the traditional Baptist church, you walk down the aisle, you give your life to Christ and you get baptized and then you take your first communion, all those things. Um, it was, a, it, it wasn't, I didn't walk down because I wanted the communion. I walked down because I wanted Jesus. Um, and so I, I felt that very strongly then. And then just watching my mother, um, as she raised us, she used to work for the church. Um, and some of the trials and tribulations that she went through while she worked for the church showed me what it looked like to walk with grace. Um, and so th- those were like the real early uh, moments of my life where I just felt the presence of God five years old, but also just my mom's hand mm. um, on the lives of myself, my brother and my sister. I love that. It makes me think of this beautiful Rowan Williams quote about saints, how there are these people who like um, create for us a world that we'd like to live in. Then there are better moments we can imagine ourselves living in. I think about my grandmother a lot in that regard, or a lady I talk about here a lot, uh, Sister Margaret Gaines. But the thing that most I got a riff on here is, is this is just fun to me. I love that at such a young age, you were preaching to your teddy bears because far before I had any sort of conscious call to, to ministry, I was preaching to my superhero action figures and it was a whole thing. Like, and I mean, it was because I was Pentecostal. It was very full on. I mean, like that, like the Green Lantern was speaking in tongues and Hawkman and you were laying hands. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Hawkman and Robin and Aquaman would sing like a trio for a special for the offering and they were falling out. Like they were falling out all over the place. And it was a, it was like, it was a whole vibe really. <laughs> Um, so that started for me very young, but it's interesting how, like, even the fact that those things just kind of, when you're in that ethos, that those things are just kind of in you to do right. even before you know exactly what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Um, to shift gears a little bit, talk more broadly. I do want to kind of it, throughout this, weave some questions about your story, but, um, so maybe the way I want to start with it is this, even this idea of a gospel that liberates, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, I am, so like in my context, uh, product of the Pentecostal church, which, you know, I feel like there's a strong, I actually think there is an understanding within the Pentecostal tradition of a gospel that liberates, but that was not always my experience of it growing up in the South and white Pentecostal kind of rural churches in the South. I feel like it was a little bit later in life where I understood a, where I encountered Pentecostalism that was radical, that was about justice for the oppressed, where women were preaching, where um, there was an understanding of God's, to use that great kind of phrase from Catholic moral theology, God's preferential concern for the poor. Uh, those things kind of came along later. Like, um, I guess my my question for you, like in the world in which you grew up in, like did, did you grow up in a context where there was an understanding of a gospel that liberates? Like, was that always there for you? Yes and no. Um, so one of the things that my parents wanted me to know, what my, particularly my mother, was black history. So we would spend time um, year round going over black history. 
Also in our church, you know, you would you would walk down um, the hallway. It was a 7,000 square foot building, right? So you had the sanctuary. Then right down the hall, you would have the classrooms. It was about four of them. Then you'd have the fellowship hall at the end. You would go down the hallway and you would see black faces on the wall. Black Moses, you'll see a black Jesus, you'll see uh, these black characters, black disciples. And and we learned those. But we also saw uh, pictures of like uh, Mansa Musa. Uh, we would see a picture of Cleopatra. We would see pictures of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X on the wall. And so we had to learn that um, not only in our homes, but we learned that at church. And it didn't happen just in February. It would happen throughout uh, our training there. But that still doesn't mean that the gospel that we were hearing was a liberative gospel. It was a cognitive dissonance, right, where it's what you wanted, but it's not necessarily what you always heard. So I, I grew up in a church where it was it was very, very conservative in terms of who could do what in church. Yeah. Could women preach in, in that church? No. Could they serve as deacons? No. Right. Um, could you touch the communion table if you weren't ordained or whatever? No. Right. So while we were talking about a gospel that some way or another has come to black folks in a unique way, we still had elements of a gospel that would oppress. Right. Um, and so. When dealing with that, you growing up with that, you you kind of start. I was the kind of child was like, why are we doing this if we say this? Right? If we're saying that Jesus has died for all, then why do we treat people like Jesus didn't die for them? Right? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem like what Jesus would do. Jesus said that he went. As a matter of fact, I was just reading this passage of scripture. I believe it's um, Matthew 11. It's Matthew 11. Uh, and I can't remember. I think it's 18 through 19. And Jesus is talking about John came and he didn't eat or drink. And they called him a devil. And then Jesus came and he ate and he drank. And they called him a glutton and and uh, a drunkard and, you know, but that the, the application was wisdom. And, and, and so for me, it was like, if we know that Jesus went to the least and the lost, why are we not doing so? If we knew that when the least and the lost came to Jesus, he stopped others from bashing them, from harming them, from talking bad to them. Uh, why don't we? And if we know that Jesus talked to those he shouldn't talk to and gave them jobs to do that he shouldn't have given them, then why don't we? Mm. So I, I was I was thinking about that at an early age and didn't really realize that it was the gospel that liberates that I was thinking about. Um, so yes and no. My, my church was very foundational with me in terms of understanding uh, my blackness, that, that I'm black and beautiful, and that those two go together and they must go together. Uh, it, it was it was instrumental in allowing me to stay grounded in a suburban area because I grew up in the suburbs where there weren't it's only less than 10 percent uh, of black people in Round Rock, Texas, even right now. Mm. Um, there were times in my class that I was the only person, only black person. 
in the class. And oftentimes I would take AP classes. So that was even worse. Um, and so I had to be grounded. And I got that grounding from my mother, my father and my church. But I also saw that there was uh, some areas where we didn't quite get it. We missed mm-hmm. the mark. That that's so fascinating to me, Larry, like this idea that on the one hand, you grew up in a culture where there was rhetoric of liberation and in some ways lived reality. Like I did that. I find that so beautiful that there was this understanding that like, I don't know, even this understanding of black history in America framed in the broader story of scripture and the church and those things are moving together. But then um, still, like in any tradition, I feel like there's always that struggle of even no matter how much wisdom is there, is it embodied wisdom or disembodied? I'm curious though, for you, like, what do you think it was that gave you the resources to recognize that disconnect? Did that, I mean, like, was that from reading scripture? Was that kind of intuitive and spirit led for you? Like, what was it inside of you that caused you to recognize like, Hey, um, the, the language here is great, but there's something about the experience on the ground here that just doesn't, that isn't quite, quite there yet. So, um, one is the experience of my mother. So my father didn't really go to church with us, right? He didn't start going to church until after he retired. And so he was well into his 50s, almost 60s. So he it's just recent that he started really going to church. My mother uh, would go to church. And I never forget there was there was a time where, um, if I'm not mistaken, there were a whole bunch of people that were out of town. The pastor, the ministers, a lot of the deacons, and my mother served communion that Sunday. And she wasn't supposed to. And and people got mad. okay. And it showed me that um, you don't necessarily have to buy in to every tradition, every doctrine, especially if it oppresses. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. I didn't get the language about pushing back until I went to my undergrad, uh, Belmont University. I was in the religion department. And my ethics professor, Dr. Andy Watts, um, I never forget one day he pushed back at me so bad in class because I I grew up black Baptist, traditional church. There are certain people that can't do certain things in certain places we shouldn't go. And he kept pushing back. And so I didn't accept it then. um, But one of those summers, it kind of helped me along. Once I got to seminary at a Methodist seminary, you're with women in ministry. You're you're dealing with, especially at uh, SMU at Perkins, um, you're dealing with liberation theologies, all various kinds. Um, And so now you're forced to grapple with what does it mean to be a person of faith and seeing oppression out there and you're called to do something about it. So that gave me the language. And then in my Ph.D. work, um, some of the things that we've had to study gave me the research methods um, to deal with that. Everything from ethnographies to um, uh, dealing with critical race theory and different things like that. So it was a progression. Um, but I saw it early enough with my mother, even though she didn't know she was doing it. And then as I went through school, I started to gain the tools to have those conversations. See, I love that. That's so that's so interesting. And I'm always just I'm always curious about those stories of just kind of um, waking up in that way. And the way that starts with your with your mom and seeing her as a godly person and then 
you know, getting the kind of pushback that she did for serving communion. Like that's, um, that's also amazing. Um, what do you think about one of the questions I thought about in context of tonight is that when you talk about the gospel's liberation, because I, I feel like whenever I try to have this conversation with people, um, I'm just so passionate about this idea that the story of scripture has always been a liberation story. Um, the God of the Exodus. It's always been the God of the oppressed. And that while Judaism and subsequently Christianity has throughout his history has been co-opted by powerful people, has been co-opted by empires, etc. That at the core, this has always been a liberation story, that these aren't things that we're reading on in the text, that this is stuff that we're projecting onto. And I know this is what's always been there. And I find myself these days just wanting to really contend for that, that Christianity has always been kind of a liberation movement. But at the heart of even how I understand that, you know, I, I just I've thought this week a lot about even just this idea of salvation, because obviously, in the, you know, to be in the church, to be a part of a Christian community, we do talk about salvation and um, and I still talk about salvation, but in very different terms. And I think to, for me, it just seems awfully crucial in terms of what liberation is, um, what exactly we understand that we're being saved from, <laughs> what exactly it is that God wants to save us from. And what it is that God wants to save us for. So I'd love to, I would love to just hear you riff on that. What do you think God wants to save us from? And what do you think God wants to save us for? Sure. So the first thing that we got to understand when we talk about salvation is that salvation is larger than where you're going to spend the rest of your eternal life, right? Um, in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, salvation is a catch-all term for the holistic salvation of mankind, humankind, right? It deals not only with your spiritual, but your physical, your mental. Everything that encompasses who you are as an individual yes. will be saved. Yes. Uh, that's why it's so important that the body is talked about in salvation, that the spirit is talked about in salvation, that the way we act is talked about in salvation. All of those things, right? So so salvation also means deliverance from certain people, from certain institutions, from certain ways of thinking. So when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about going to a heaven because the real truth about that is that heaven is wherever God is, where the presence of God yes. is. That's it. That's that. heaven. Right. But also we see that the kingdom of God is trying to be established here. So what we see is that the presence of God is coming here. It's infiltrating the darkness here. So the more we talk about the kingdom of God, the more we have to talk about salvation of people, not just their spirits. Oftentimes here's what we've done. When I when I think about salvation, I always chart it through the slaves. There was a time where slaves were thought that they could not be saved. They were animals. They didn't have a soul. Then when they had a soul, well, they're lesser souls than we are. So maybe we shouldn't talk to them about salvation. I'm glad that slaves had enough thought in them to say, the God who made you made me. And whatever you do to me, I know God will make right. It might not come right now, but it will come later. Salvation. So when we're talking about salvation from something, we're talking about the powers and the principalities that rule this world. I do believe that scripture in scripture and I believe that scripture tells us that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, even though we put it that way. Right. We always talk about who we're fighting against and it's usually a person. But that's not what's really at stake. All of us have been marred by sin. 
Sin, in this context, is this struggle, this innate struggle between us and God and us following what God would have us to do. All the way from how we ought to live to who we ought to love, how we ought to love, to justice, all of those things. We have to cover all that in our salvation. So when we deal with salvation and we start to talk about what are we saved from, we're saved from dividing each other. Mm-hmm. We're saved mm-hmm. from thinking that one group is better than another group. Mm-hmm. We're saved from thinking that one God is better than another God. Mm-hmm. We're saved from all of these things, because if you look at how we have uh, progressed in humanity, it is that the opportunity that we get to make ourselves better than someone else. We usually take it. That's right. That's right. We usually take it. Make no mistake about that. Most of us, if we have the opportunity to make ourselves better than someone else, we will take it. It might not be in exerting power. It might be in giving sympathy. Because oftentimes what we do with sympathy is we say, oh, look how less fortunate they are. Let me help them and make them feel like they're a little bit better. But, oh, look at me. So salvation deals with the concept of division. What causes us to see each other as less than? Mm -hmm. What causes us to see each other as different? What causes us to see each other as other. Okay. Mm. Salvation then says God loves us all. God is tearing down dividing walls. That's yes. in Ephesians. Yes. Right. God is constructing a new humanity around unity and love. So when we talk about salvation, it's also changing our mind mm. about what we see ourselves as yeah. and what we see others as. Mm. Okay, so that's from for what purpose to be the heralds of God's good news. Mm. Of course, got good news was a political term. Right. So this political term, good news, was when Caesar was coming to town, they would send a messenger before him to herald that Caesar was coming to town. This good news. Right. Mm. That when Caesar took over something, it would herald that his good news was coming. The peace that he brought was military. When we deal with salvation, we are to herald good news that the one who's coming to break down the divisions, whatever isms that we have constructed to Mm -hmm. put ourselves in a hierarchy. God now comes to say we need that no more. Mm -hmm. That's salvation. Mm -hmm. And those of us who work on the side of God are responsible to share that salvation, to share the good news, to do the work right now of making sure that the kingdom of God is established. Yes, yes. That's it. Um, I'm glad I asked those questions. Like this is so that is it's so brilliantly said. I mean, and I think everything from, you know, first of all, this notion because uh, every the way that you described that really ultimately what we need to be saved from is we need to be saved from ourselves. I feel like so many people have been given a narrative where what they've been taught is basically they need to be saved from God. Now that is jacked up, but that is what people actually think that they need to be saved from God, the father, Jesus, from God's came to, judgment. That's right. Jesus came to save them from God, the father and the father, you know, he's just so angry, but Jesus steps in like a battered wife. I mean, it's, it's horrible. Like Jesus is saving us from God. So like, I mean, it's, it starts off wrong there, but then this whole notion, because I've, 
buy into a hook, line, and singer that salvation is it's every that it encompasses all of life. I think like in Paul's language, it's everything that starts from, you know, when our, our first connection with Jesus, but then it's everything. It's, it's a whole process. It is holistic. It is body, mind, and spirit. It's, and, and, and pastors, you know, so well, I mean, the epistles in particular are, are written directly so often in protest to the Gnosticism right. of that time, which says right. that the body, the material world is bad, but the spirit is good. And what we need is some, you know, some kind of experience so that the spirit can transcend the body in some way. This right. is precisely right. why Christians are so made fun of mm-hmm. is because their faith is so bodily. They believe in a bodily resurrection. They, you know, and, and so it's interesting how those things are just like always coming full circle <laughs> is that I think oftentimes, even in our time, it's still the great threat of the church, certainly in North America, right. is there's always this pull towards a disembodied, right. cerebral gospel, come and think like us. Uh, and so long as you think the right things, then you get to go live in fairyland heaven when right. we die. That's unrecognizable right, right, right. to the story of the New right. Testament. They wouldn't know what that is. Yeah, they wouldn't know. And, and and you said it correctly, right? So the the church, especially the American church, the Americanized church, we believe in more Gnostic teachings than we give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. We utilize those things. When we when we want to tell someone that, oh, all you got to worry about is that you go to heaven. Right. Right. That doesn't make any sense yeah. when yeah. you look at what Jesus came to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. That's right. Okay. So when we talk about how we're saved, what we're called to do in salvation, what salvation looks like, listen, you you can't say that you're saved and then not have anything to say about those children and those uh, parents that are sitting at the border right now in Preach. cages. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus would have something to say about yeah. that. Yeah. Jesus didn't come to just take your spirit and send it up to heaven when you, when you go and die. Mm-hmm. He came to make sure that we treat each other right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to think about that. Yes, yes, that's so right. And, I, you know, and I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel, I'm, I'm in this conversation almost every minute, it feels like these days in some ways, uh, you know, because I feel like while there's a lot of, there are false gospels out there that are blatantly disgusting. And yes, there are people, you know, like, I mean, I, we could talk about the KKK or whatever. But what I found, you know, and I, 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 I give this riff sometimes, and I don't know if people believe me, but it's like, you had that sort of old guard religious right and the moral majority of the 80s or whatever. But I don't feel like a lot of what we're seeing in our time is so much in a, a direct extension of that. I feel like kind of in the aftermath of that, you had a period of roughly 20 or 30 years where kind of what happened was the movement, the, the kind of popular movement, especially more evangelical churches in North America, especially among white evangelicals, is, OK, we just need to tell people about Jesus we need to get, you know, we want as many people to go to heaven as possible. So what we need, to, we just need to make sure that we don't say anything that's offensive at all. So it wasn't so much saying things that were awful sometimes, but more often than not, failing to address anything about the material world at all, anything about bodily existence at all. You don't talk about anything that's not spiritual. And that's a very narrow definition of what spiritual is. <laughs> you know, it's pray the sinner's prayer. Whatever it, it takes to get people in the door to pray the sinner's prayer, then that's what matters. And we don't want to risk talking about things 
that might that, that might be divisive somehow. But if that's not what salvation is, if salvation is part of a bigger, broader story that includes the salvation of bodies, then that business doesn't make any sense. But I think that's what happened, that well-intentioned people really came to believe that, you know, getting people to pray the prayer was just so important. We can't talk about real life in church. Well, I, I know well-intentioned, that, that term, um, some people were not well-intentioned. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, especially as it deals with oppressed groups, yes. right? Yes. Um, there were still some churches that black folks couldn't co- go into in the 80s. Mm. There are some churches right now, mm. unless you tote the line, you can't go in there. Sure. So it, it's not even well-intentioned. Um, it's well hidden to me. Wow. Um, yes, that's right. That's, uh, so that's just that's just my no, point of scary. view on that. I mean, not every place is like that, but yeah. you will still see that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I t- I think the thing maybe that drives me most bananas about any of these kind of conversations right now, especially around like the gospel that liberates and all that, is that. And you know, we're here in the Bible Belt, and Oklahoma is it, what it is. I mean, I come from North Carolina. A lot of those dynamics are very similar. I just find it as someone who. Um, you know, now again, my the way I've used this term has changed over the years, but orthodoxy does matter to me as I understand it in terms of the story of the church definitely matters to me. Um, the story that's been handed to me about Jesus matters a whole lot. And it's just so strange to be in a time where I feel like uh, I'm so often made, I think a lot of us are, are made to feel so strange, like we're talking about something that's new or it's sort of like, no, I don't know what y'all are doing, but th- this, this is not the new stuff. Like that's what's new. That's what's weird. That's what's, that's the deviation. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it, it's always interesting to me. You, you brought up orthodoxy. Um, and that is important, right? They're, uh, right teaching. But then there also ought to be orthopraxy. Yes. Right. Right practice. Um, and when they don't line up, something's off. Mm-hmm. Something doesn't stick. Right. Any teacher will tell you they if they teach something to a child and that child doesn't get what they're teaching, what do they have to do? They have to scaffold. They got to do something else. They got to try another route. It seems, though, that in our faith that over these years, we, we, we've hearkened so much on right doctrine, right doctrine, right doctrine, right doctrine, yes. that the right doctrine that was pushed on us did not lead to right practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, it wasn't right doctrine. That's right. That's right. Because when you look at Jesus, Jesus would tell him, here's what I have to tell you. And then he'll push him out there into practice. And then when they made the mistake, he'll say, no, that's not what you were supposed to do. This is what you should have done. Mm -hmm. Right. When is it that we will have right doctrine and right practice? Mm -hmm. That's what we need. And so I, I agree with you. This this whole idea about orthodoxy, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean evangelical. Right. Right. Nope. Oh, no, no. Nope. I was reading this article <laughs> uh, recently and I can't even remember. Um, matter of, no, I can't even remember who wrote it. I can't remember where I read it from. You know, it was one of those things that you're scrolling through your Facebook and it catches your eye. And it was talking about where evangelicalism is mm. in America right now. And how you can tell that something is off when you will elect not just a president, but other officials 
who don't stand for anything you say you believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not one thing. Mm-hmm. Not one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Period. Yeah. Yeah. The children in here are saving me from saying what I really want to say, <laughs> but not one thing. Yeah. That's and right. they say, let's throw him a mulligan because he's going to bring about yes. what we want. But what yes. we want as evangelicals, right? That's what mm-hmm. they're, is not Christ. Mm-hmm. It's power, mm-hmm. politics. That's right. That's right. And we see what happens with the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the Sanhedrin, what they do when they buy into what Herod has to offer. Yeah. Right. When they buy into what Rome has to offer and they see Jesus walking right down the street mm-hmm. and know what he's about and say, we got to kill that one. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be aware. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, and I'm just kind of going to segue real quick. No, this is good. You go into what does it mean to serve a liberating God? And be transformed by a liberating gospel is that you have to always check yourself, right? right. You right. might be liberated in one aspect yes. Yes. and be oppressive in another. Yes. And just because you're liberated in one aspect don't mean, you know, you, you're that. How do you say it? I'm trying to be good. Um, you don't have to behave for I us. Gotta, no, I got to behave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you're all that in a bag of chips. Let's just say it that way. Yes. Okay. Just because you got, you know, this is just what's near and dear to my, just because you got black friends Mm. and you know how to talk the language, you know about, you know, at least cognitively what they've gone through does not mean that you have been liberated to the extent that God is pleased. Just because as a male, I I, have repented of, you know, oppressive Acts toward women does not mm. mean that I get what's yes. going on in their lives. Yes. Yes. Right? So when we deal with this, just because I'm straight, right? And I'm on, you know, in this world, we, we hold that power does not mean that I have the right to abuse anyone who has a different sexuality than I do. So we might be liberated in one place. We might can we might can quote intersectionality and right. and, and, and critical race theory and right. womanist and feminist thought, but there's still an aspect of us that the wrong person right. walk down the street, you're gonna clutch your purse. Yeah. That's right. The wrong person come on to you and you're gonna lash out. Mm-hmm. The wrong woman says something to you and you want them fight. We still have to deal with where we oppress others. Mm. Mm. And in that, we have to go back to our God, ask for repentance, and Lord, show me where I need to change and make amends. The gospel causes us to do that each and every day. We are not perfect vessels. Mm. We're not. Mm. So good. To me, it's it's the genius of the Sermon on the Mount, and why I think it's towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives the (laughs) the whole thing about, you know, having the plank in our eye and trying to see the speck, it's like, it's a posture, you know, because at any given moment, mm-hmm. this, this is always shifting. Like yeah. it requires constant self-examination. It's not, there's no place of arrival. And I, I think the through line that you're nailing that is so critical is that um, th- th- this whole idea again of like j- just getting the beliefs right. It's just so, it's just so deceptive. Yeah. And I feel like we're in a time right now, especially where people are. And I think that is a lot of what's happening. People are so easily swept up 
when they hear people use the right language. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that's what's happening, um, like in political context right now. Okay, well, even if if somebody doesn't act in any way that my faith, but they say his name, but they say this, they say the name of Jesus. They threw his name out there. Well, I, pre- I appreciate it. I thought some, I posted about this just the other day and I thought about it nonstop just last week for some reason. I just keep thinking about, um, the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain, right. which was never a prohibition about cussing. Never. never anything to do with cussing. The whole purpose is that and you I'm don't so use glad. God's name for co- to, to coerce people. You right. don't use God's name. To, to win an argument, you don't use God's name to bully, you don't use God's name to intimidate, you don't use God's name uh, to, 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 for, to try to pull sentimental heartstrings. Right, right, right. And I feel like God slash patriotism, anything's like, Christians are, we're supposed to be the people like, we don't have relics, we don't have, you know, that's part, part of what I love about Christianity, I think it's purest form. What we what we call holy is the bodies of our neighbors. That's mm-hmm. what we consider to be holy. That's right. Like that's what we that's what's sacred to us. That's right. Like so, we don't have anything to defend. We don't have anything to protect. There's nothing that that should be offensive to us right. in that way. But if people can distract us into who's saying the name of God more, who's being more patriotic, you know, who's giving more lip service on this or that, it's an endless loop that that. To keep people from ever asking the question, what's really going on? Right. Then they'll raise the question, who's the real patriot? Right. <laughs> what is that? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and so when you say that, I think about two areas. One, the golden rule. And we all grew up learning the golden rule, right? Mm-hmm. Do unto others as they would have, you would have them do unto you, right? What it comes down to is, do you want to live in a cage? Mm-hmm. Then why do you yeah. accept someone yeah. else living in a cage? Yeah. Right. Do you want to be raped and abused? Then why do you accept that from somebody else? Right. Why do you accept them doing that to someone else? Do you want to be paid less? Right. Mm -hmm. Then why do you accept that for some do unto others as you would have them do it to you now? And then I think about, for instance, James, you know, James talks about what true religion is. We're always talking about how to best serve God. And in scriptures, we see all across scripture that God says, I don't want your worship. I don't want your fattened calves. I don't want the bulls. I don't want you singing to me. I want your heart. That's right. See, because when your heart is right, when your heart, your intentions, when your heart and your love is for people, you won't let people be abused. That's why James says, what's true religion? Mm -hmm. That you take care of who? Mm -hmm. The orphans and the widows. And of course, James leaves out the foreigner. But you also remember that when you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, especially in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was set up to take care of the less fortunate. That's right. That's right. Everyone was supposed to have an inheritance except for the Levites and the the priests. But their inheritance was the Lord and the people took care of them. Mm -hmm. That was the Mm -hmm. first thing. But also those who came in from foreign borders were supposed to be taken care of. Don't pick up everything when you till your land, but leave some for them. Yes. The widows and the orphans, don't pick up everything, but leave some for them. That's right. Remember that you were once a foreigner. Mm -hmm. Remember Mm -hmm. you were once a slave. Remember you didn't have it all together. And it means the same thing here. Mm -hmm. Now, if I, if I were to see God rewrite scripture just for us, Mm -hmm. just to make it plain, remember Some of you were slaves. Remember that some of you were indentured servants. Remember that some of you had to come across on boats that you weren't supposed to be in. 
Remember yeah. that you had to be an indentured servant over here because mm. where you were living in Europe, you couldn't get enough money and you fell into mm. debt and they put a law down on you that caused you to yes. be caught up in a system. And now you're here. And just because you have land, always remember that there was one time you didn't and there's going to be a time where you won't. That's right. Remember. That's right. That your children can be in concentration camps. Remember yeah. that yeah. one day another nation will have your land. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of our nations fall. Yeah. There's yeah. only one kingdom that will last. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I just want to preach with you now. I mean, I just like, I just want to say amen. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's, that's everything. I just, that's, and I think I've been thinking a lot too about how, I don't know, even, even before the New Testament, like this is always, this has always been the story. I mean, I know that even in the Old Testament law and Torah, there was this emphasis on care for the poor. Cause I do think that can be used in a way that could be anti-Semitic. Like it wasn't like that, you know, Jewish people were, they, they just, they were all legalistic. They didn't care about them. That's ridiculous. That, that was always in the law. But what is real is that I think you have this dispute often, even within the text between there is a tendency among the priest in the way that priests do towards institutional self-protection, making a little bit too much about purity codes and rules and regulations, which is why you have the regular pushback from the prophets. And how often do we have this? You've got an Isaiah, God saying outright, I don't want your fast. I'm not interested in your festivals and your holy days. I've called you to, to, to liberate the oppressed, to care for the poor. And then you've got things like in Jeremiah, I, 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 this has been on my mind lately because I think it's so shocking. In Jeremiah 7, God outright says through Jeremiah, um, I wasn't the one who gave your ancestors, uh, all these regulations about sacrifices where it's like, well, then what was Leviticus about? I mean, just throwing that out there, but it's amazing. Like, and, and what, but what we see with Jesus is that Jesus always lands so clearly on the side of that kind of prophetic critique. And even though, like in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus as our high priest, he is a high priest, but he's a prophetic high priest who radically reinvents what a priest is because he's a priest in a prophetic way and he brings that world together, you know. But I still feel like how, like even in our time, it's like it's still that same thing. Like we've got, we've still got our own version of sort of priests and Levites who are like, we're all about the temple and, you know, trying to end the order and, and the rules and forgetting like, but, but I think for the tradition to be fully or for it to be right, we always have to have the prophets in our ear reminding us how this is meant to be lived. Right. You know, you, you said something interesting, uh, that Jesus is this prophetic high priest. What makes him prophetic as a high priest is that he identifies with us, right? Even though, you know, in our in our orthodoxy, we have this Trinity and he's the second person of the Trinity. He's the second person of the Godhead. It does not mean that he does not identify with us. And because he identifies with us, he knows our struggles. He knows our pains. He knows our hurts. And he works on our behalf, not only in praying, but when he was here in speaking. And turning over tables and doing what is necessary to make sure that the people who are hurt under the hands of oppressive structures Mm -hmm. 
get relief. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I think about this. So uh, this morning we, I, I preached a sermon. We're de- dealing with the parables of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, of course, some of the parables talk about what the kingdom of God is like. Others talk about what signs you need to watch out for, so on and so forth. So today we were in uh, Mark chapter 13, 28 through 31, and it was right after they leave the temple and the disciples look up at the stones on the temple and say, Jesus, look how marvelous this work is. Mm. Jesus turns to him and says, you know, the temple is going to be destroyed. Mm. So they pull him aside when they get to the Mount of Olives and they, they ask him questions about this. What do you mean? Give us the signs. And he's talking about, then he changes and he starts talking about how by preaching the gospel, they're going to end up in courtrooms yeah. and they're going to be beaten and all. And like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, we, we were just talking to you about the, the, the stones. What's going to happen with that? Then he moves on. He starts talking about the end of days, but then he comes back and he starts talking about this mm. fig tree that has these plush leaves and he says, mm. This fig tree has these plush leaves. You know that uh, summer is coming because the fig tree has plush leaves. Likewise, read the signs. When you read the signs, you'll know that God is near and that all these things will pass away. But the word, my words will never fail. But it's directly connected to what will happen to Jerusalem and the temple. And it's directly connected to what the disciples see as important, the temple. Jerusalem, the stones, the institutions, right, the traditions. Also, right before then, that's right when he was uh, looking at the widow who gave her last. And he says, man, she's better than all of us. Yes. Right. Because there was an institution, a, a, a tradition of giving. But then there was one lady who gave her all. He says, no, she's better. He was breaking down what we think God wants from us institutionally. And he was telling the disciples, you've got to get your eyes off of the traditions and the institutions and these things, these stones. And look at what the people actually need, mm. because when you share the good news, mm. that's what's going to get you at the courts. Yeah, that's what's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Not the stone walls. Yes, 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 yes. People are fine. You can talk about Jesus all day long. They don't care. So yeah. long as you don't talk about their money. Or their war, they'll let you talk about Jesus all day long. But you start touching things that give us meaning. This thing, though, you're getting into, Pastor, about, I know we probably need to wrap up soon, but this is, uh, I, this is just so, um, I, everything's on fire in me right now about this whole thing of the empathy of Jesus. Yeah. Because I've, I've read multiple articles recently about how, like, that seems to be the defining characteristic negatively about the moment we're in is a lack of empathy mm. explains certain kind of polarization is that, is that we, we don't even cherish empathy as a virtue right. as much anymore in certain segments of our society where, you know, I mean, I used to think that I was at my most Christ-like, well, when I suppressed a dirty thought or when I did not say a swear <laughs> word or whatever else at this point in my life, like, if you understand that there's nothing more, what is it that makes Jesus Jesus? I mean, he, he's, he, he's the sinless son of God from eternity, et cetera. Right. But Philippians 2, the kenosis of Jesus, the fundamental truth of Jesus is that he's always emptying himself. He's always stooping. He's always making himself lower. And at this point, what I've really come to see, like, we're never more like Jesus than when we have real empathy for someone who's not like us. Right. That's what Christ likeness looks right. like. Right. Not moralism. <laughs> right. 
and I think there's a difference. So for me, you know, there, there, are, there are these circles that wrap morals and ethics together mm-hmm. and they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. They're different, right? Um, morals are those, you know, overarching themes, right? So just in case we're confused, but morals are the overarching themes oftentimes that are passed down, whether it's through families or mm-hmm. through nations or through your faith, but you got to apply it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a way that you must apply it, and that's ethics. Mm-hmm. What we see is that Jesus had both morals and ethics. That's right. His morals, he didn't always apply to everybody. Right. Okay. Um, he didn't always right. If he's if he's if we believe that he's God, and he 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 wrote. Uh, he understands these morals. He he taught these morals. He constructed these morals. But when he was dealing with people, mm-hmm. people who had sin problems and have been hurt by people and people who just didn't, you know, believe and those who doubted, he dealt with them based on where they were and what they needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's ethics. Yes. Right. So, you know, people say that ethics can't be situational. They have to be situational. Mm-hmm. You have to know what a person is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And the only one who knew it before they got to it was Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's why he was able to do it so quickly. Mm-hmm. We have to spend a little bit more time. I cannot. If I think there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. I can't diagnose you until I know you. Yeah. And yeah. once I know you, it might yes. not be a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. How often are we wrong about someone? Yes. And yes. usually we think we know everything there is to know That's about a right. person we've never met. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Or about a person that we've just seen them from time to time. Mm-hmm. Jesus asked us mm-hmm. to get involved in people's lives, mm-hmm. not to be nosy mm-hmm. and not to control their lives. But to understand their human nature. Yes. It's interesting to me that human beings have the hardest time understanding each other's human nature. Right. Yeah. Our longings, our concerns, our fears, our doubts, our hurts, our pains. For some reason, we can only understand our own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we forget that somebody else may be dealing with something similar or worse. That's right. That's right. And what they need is a smile, a hug. Yes. They need someone to encourage them. They need love. They need someone to stand beside them. But we don't know that if we don't know each other. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's and 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 Jesus models all this so beautifully. I mean, the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody in the New Testament is with the woman at the well, where he is asking questions and she feels seen and known without judgment. For who she really is, or, or I haven't brought this up in a long time, but it's but it, it, it runs in the background a lot these days. I used to not like to talk about the passage with the Syrophoenician woman because oh, that text that scandalized me before I understood it. Because it used to just bother me when I was a kid, like reading, I'm like, why does Jesus, you know, you got this woman who's coming to Jesus asking for healing, and Jesus dismissively seems to call her a dog. Yeah, and it's like, and there's no way, like, people will come up ways to try to like make that better. Well, you know, in in the it's Greek, it says a little dog. Call a woman a dog. It's not a good look. No matter how this goes, this doesn't read. But when she has that wonderful response to Jesus and she Mm -hmm. says, even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the master's table. And Jesus takes note and says, you know, I've not seen faith like this from anyone in Israel. It's like, I mean, as scandalous as it might sound for people, 
we see Jesus seem to learn from this woman. He learns, he listens, he learns. It's like, it's like, it's like his something about the faith of this woman alters him in some way. Right. Because, because that's my thing is even though, um, and I don't know how this works theologically, but I know that what it means to love in general uh-huh. is to be vulnerable in a way that, that makes you changeable. <laughs> it's not possible to love anybody or love anything and not be open to the possibility of change. Right. And I think that's the risk that God takes for us in Jesus is that God, even God risks change. <laughs> even God becomes vulnerable in that way to love. And that's, and so again, the call to Christ likeness is to imitate Christ in just that way, to yes. take that, the risk that love does, to be willing to be vulnerable, to be willing to be changed by the people around us. Right. You know, the, oftentimes when you have conversations with people about this whole concept of love, right? It it ends up coming down to I would rather get in trouble for loving people more than God would tell me I was supposed to than not doing it at all. Right. Right? right. And I just believe that when it comes down to it, God is not going uh, to be upset because we loved people deeply. That's right. That's right. Doesn't make sense. The whole problem with humanity is that we stopped loving. Yes. We stop yes. being concerned about other people. So if the corrective is to know Jesus who gives us ultimate love because he dies for people who were killing him. Right. But also for those who could not stand up for himself. Yes. Right. We then have to love. Mm-hmm. That's why it says they'll know us by how we love. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just one another, but it says love God, love neighbor. Yeah. Right. Those two commandments. Or in the mistranslation of the text is that here's the greatest and the one is likened to it. The likened to it doesn't mean that. It means that they go hand in hand. Right. To love God is to love neighbor. That's right. To love neighbor is to love God. That's right. Yes. Yes. You cannot say you can do one Mm -hmm. without the other. Mm -hmm. That's why you got children in cages. Mm -hmm. That's why you have people in prison when they shouldn't be. Yeah, That's yeah. why we don't have a prison system that reforms people, but That's it just right. keeps them in the wheelhouse. That's right. That's, That's right. why education is as bad as it is. Yes. That's why the Me Too movement has to speak. Yeah. That's why you have feminist and womanist thoughts abounding mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we don't know how to love each other. We don't know how to love God. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And the more we learn how to love God, right. the more we'll pick up on all these other things. Yes. Yes. The more we'll say, huh, let me take a step back. Did what I say mm-hmm. harm this individual mm-hmm. in a way that does harm to their humanity, yes. to the image of God that's yes. placed in it? Because here's one thing that, you know, there are some evangelicals who will say this, that, you know, this whole concept of total depravity. Some people think that the image of God is, uh, if not gone, so severely hurt that it, it is just like, if, if you don't know Jesus, it's not repairable, yeah. right? However, the real concept is that it's been hurt by the powers and principalities and that we continue to hurt it Mm -hmm. when we don't recognize it as God given. Mm -hmm. Okay. now here's Mm -hmm. where, you know, I take a step outside of Christianity and say you don't have to be Christian to recognize the image of God in other people. Absolutely. It's called dignity. That's right. That's right. That's what it's called. Yes. Yes. So we train our children to treat everyone right. Mm-hmm. But then as adults, we don't model it. Yes. 
Cognitive dissonance. Mm. We've got to see that the image of God is given by God Mm. to everybody. Mm. Don't matter who they are, what you think about them. Yes. They have the image. Yes. And if they have the image, there's a piece of them that connects them to God just as much as it connects you. Yeah. Mm hmm. Ooh, I love that. I love that. And it's so this um, dignity. I don't believe I've always hated that language of total depravity. It's not there. The, the image of God is is marred in the fall, but it's not lost. It's not lost. And I think um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just so struck. Uh, Larry and all this, the way that. Because something about everything you were saying about the kind of conditions that people live in and even, you know, the issues we have with mass incarceration, all that. I find, I feel like so often these days, I find myself wanting to contend with people about the basic character of God, like just who I believe God has revealed in Christ to be. Because not only do we not know how to love God, which does happen first and foremost through how we love our neighbors, but I just think people have such wrong ideas about how God loves them because they think that God's judgment is about retribution. And I'm just convinced that God's judgment was never retributive. Never Retribution doesn't work. Retribution does not work. God's judgment is about restoration, not retribution. God's judgment set things right. That's why Romans 8 talks about how the creation itself is groaning and sighing for the restoration that's coming. If all that was happening is everything was going to be burned down, then why is creation sighing and groaning? Right? No, it's like God's judgment is a good thing because it makes things right. It puts things right. right. It's something to be craved. Like God's justice, God's judgment, like my fire burns things down. I get angry and right. I like, I, yes, yeah, sometimes like I, I want to, I want yeah, to destroy. But yeah. God's fire is not that way. God's fire purifies. God's fire refines, you know, and I just think like, but the fact that we still think of justice or judgment as retribution to me is the bedrock problem. It's so many ills that we have is that retribution. It's not even again, it's like, you know, trying to be all moralistic, but now kids, we ought to be nicer to each other. No, it's like, it doesn't work. No. It, you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. We, we try to fear people into heaven. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so as you were saying that one of the, um, the images that comes to mind is in revelation, right? Mm-hmm. I think revelation is the most, Un, you know, misunderstood book. Amen. Uh, misinterpreted book. Amen. Uh, but at the end of Revelation, it talks about this tree, right? There's a river that runs through mm-hmm. the middle of the city, and there's yes. a tree that sits on top of yes. it. And on both sides, there's these big leaves, and these leaves are for the get this, the healing of the nations. Of the nations of the nations. Not for the destruction of the nations. That's right. That's right. But for the healing. So the whole goal is for mm. God to heal what has been abused. That's right. That's right. And and the thing about our God is he gives both the abused and the abusers the chance to get healed. Yes. 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 What you see is that the abused can be so abused mm-hmm. that they think God did it. That's right. And one of the jobs that we have as Christians is to tell them that wasn't God. Right. Right. Yes. Let me show you how God heals. Yes. Right. Mm. And then to the uh, abuser, Mm -hmm. we would say, well, they are so far gone. Mm -hmm. God cannot do anything with Mm -hmm. them. But the gospel says that even the abuser Mm -hmm. has a right to come to healing. That's right. Here's the thing. So King, Mm. King, Dr. King, 
He thought this. He believed this to his core. He believed that when you are oppressing others, you're just as messed up and 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 in need of salvation. Yes. As the one who's been oppressed. Yes. Yes. That's also a common theme in scripture. Mm -hmm. The power wielders are just as messed up. Mm -hmm. They're messed up in a different way. Right. That's you got right. those who have been hurt by right. the power wielders, and then you got the power wielders who have to make themselves less human to do right. the hurting. Right. And that's the thing. Right. When we disregard people, we make ourselves less human. That's right. So, African uh, philosophy, Ubuntu, uh, from South Africa. I am because we are, or mm -hmm. you are, right? It's either one. I am a human because you are a human. I cannot be a human if you're not a human. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what it suggests is that we are tied together mm -hmm. and that in order for me to dehumanize you, I have to dehumanize myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, brother, this is, ooh. we're just, I know we're just now like, we're just like, we are just riffing. <laughs> And we're having the best possible time, but oh, it's all—it is jazz. It is jazz. And what's not to like about jazz? What's wrong with jazz? Improvisation. No, this is all. This is just. This is just so good. And I, I'm like, I'm so lit up right now. And the fact that you went there the way that you did about Revelation, because I really do believe it's the most misunderstood book in the Bible. I've not talked about this since I've been here because I haven't got to it. But in more recent years. Revelation is one of the books I've spent the most time in and talk about most, yeah. which is funny because I avoided it for so long, was scared of it for so long. But I'll say this sometimes, and this is one of the only things I'll say where I know I, I, I really, I'm not saying this, I actually make people mad. I know they want to hit me in the face because it sounds so absurd, but I really believe this. I think Revelation, rightly understood, is actually the book in the Bible where nonviolence is the most explicit if you know what you're reading. Because even though there's all these images of violence and like, what, what about all the bloodshed and all the whatever? Yeah, yeah. But like if you read the images, right, what Revelation does is it takes violent, militant empire images and then turns them upside down and uses them in a subversive way. So so how does the lamb overcome in the book of Revelation? Through the lamb's sacrifice. And that's what gets reenacted over and over again. You finally get to the big climactic battle scene where the lamb is going to take on the enemies of God. By the way, that, I love that you brought up the healing of the nations because all throughout Revelation, that's the reference for the bad guys. It's yeah. the nations and the kings of the earth. So finally, Jesus is getting ready to go out to do battle against the nations and the kings of the <laughs> earth. And Oh, wait a second. There's not actually a battle scene. And oh, Jesus comes out on a white horse wearing a robe that's been dipped in his own blood. Right. Not their blood. It's his own blood. And, and even though Revelation 19 does have the image of the nations and the kings of the earth being thrown into the lake of fire, right. it's Revelation 21 that uses the same phrase that with, with such uh, methodical precision John has used to describe the forces that are against God. These are the evil people, the nations, and the kings of the earth. It's in Revelation 21 that now it says the gates of the city are never shut. Oh, that's interesting. Why are the gates never shut? Don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. And... That then it says the nations and the kings of the earth are entering to to worship Jesus, and 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 the, and the healing is coming to the nations. So it's like again, if you know what you're reading, <laughs> this is not a book about how God kills you know all the evil folk because He has a bigger sword. I mean, in fact, even that wonderful 
out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which yeah. to strike down the nations. What does that mean? That God judges by his word. That's what it's saying. It's not, but, but the fact that then that gets twisted for people who are waiting for some kind of a literal Armageddon who are cheering right. it on and right. actually hoping right. for praying a day like for praying it. for it and, and funding it, you know. <laughs> You're right about that. Funding. <laughs> so the, the beauty of our faith is the way in which God deals with us. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Mm. You know, all of these these various faiths and that deal with a God who will um, abuse you mm-hmm. because he's mad or she's mad. Mm-hmm. But our God, our God steps in front of it, mm-hmm. right? And he takes the abuse from us, yes. deals with the abuse that we give him, yes. and then says, come. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's beautiful. What, what, whatever we do, and, and this is one thing that we have to teach people. Mm-hmm. The bad that has gone in your life, the bad mm-hmm. that you've done, the things that have gone on in your life is not so powerful that it will ever overcome our God. That's right. That's right. Bring it to him. That's right. Bring it to God as a sacrifice. Yes, yes. Let God deal with it. Yes. Let God transform you mm. into the kind of person. And here's the other thing that I think theologically we have messed, messed up is the whole idea about perfection. Right. Yeah. I, I got to be perfect. Yes. No, yes. you've got to yes. be mature. That's right. That's right. You've got to understand the ways of God, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. that you're still learning mm-hmm. and you're still going to be learning mm-hmm. to your death. That's right. That's right. But you ought to learn from the mistakes that you made. Yes. yes. That's it. Yes. You ought to treat people better because you learned that that's not the way God wants it. Right. You ought to live better because you learned that God wants you to live better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You ought to love more because you learn that hate doesn't get you far. Yes. Yes. Okay. You learn, you mature. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if you have to deal with, uh, you know, you have to come up against uh, certain things. Like for instance, we, we, we know this state, uh, Right now, we are a, a medical marijuana state, and there are still people locked up in prison for selling marijuana mm-hmm. when they ought to be out. Mm-hmm. We know that we had this teacher walkout, uh, what was it, last year, and there were talks that it would happen again. We know that we are the top of the list for incarcerated, both male and female. Yes. We know yes. this, right? And then on top of that, when they get out, we know that they have to pay an exorbitant amount of money just yeah. to maintain because they owe, for some reason, yeah. they owe the prison. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of these things need to be dealt with. Yeah. And we, the people of God, need yeah. to have something to say about it. That's right. And we need to have some feet on the ground doing yeah. something about it. Yes. But we also need to have arms open for yes. those who want to change their ways. That's right. That's right. That's right. And you said it so beautifully before, like, who's more oppressed than the oppressor? Right. And I think especially in a moment like now, that's so crucial because if we um, and I think we talked about here in this here in the last few weeks, even if we get locked into that against energy where we do think we're wrestling against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel like and I do return directly to King a lot right now and others. I think that message just can't be lost in this moment is that if we fail to love, you know, if you behold something long enough, you take on the energy of the very thing that you're trying to resist. It's why, you know, I try to tell people, y'all can't think about him 
all the time. You know what I'm talking about. You can't sit around thinking about him all the time. Because if you if you look at that nonstop, you lose the capacity. Like, and I think that's why, like, there that there has to be uh, there has to be prayer. These things have to be approached spiritually. There has to be like we need these kind of spiritual practices that enable us to go out in the face of real injustice, real oppression, like real opposition, and still not give in to hate, right. even when the ideology really is wicked at right. times. You know, um, so my. You know, grandmothers and the mothers of the church, that's what we call them in the, in the black church, the mothers of the church, those who have been in the faith a long time. They'll say, don't be so heavenly minded mm. that you're no earthly good. Yes, yes. Don't have your head in the clouds and you don't see what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Then there's a, a man by the name of Walter Fluker, doc, Dr. Walter Fluker. He wrote this book. Um, uh what was it? The stones that the builder rejected, I mm. believe is what it is. And he makes the case. He also makes the case in another book. Um, it was his dissertation. He wrote it on King and Howard Thurman. Mm. Okay. But the case that he makes in his work is that you can best understand ethics and the heart of God through the lens of oppressed people. Yes. yes. It's not the people on top that has the power yeah, right. that knows what's right. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's people who have been abused yeah. by that power who knows that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so then they become the best prophets mm-hmm. for telling those that have the power, hey, this is hurtful, yes. abusive. Yes. Right? One of my mentors, uh, Dr. J. Alfred Smith, he, mm-hmm. he pastored the church, Allen Temple uh, Baptist Church in California, yeah. Oakland, California. He worked with the Black Panthers um, back back way back then. So uh, they they. A great congregation. One mm. of the day, one time I, I called him and I was so upset. I was frustrated. It was during those years where you got Trayvon Martin and Eric yeah. Gardner and, you know, Tamir Rice and you, you just have all of these folks who are dying. And I called him and I said, is it wrong for us to be angry? Mm. Is it wrong for us to be angry about this and to tell them that this hurts? And he said to me, he said, Son, if someone steps on your toe, what are you going to do? Says you, I'm going to tell them it hurt. Did you mm-hmm. step on my toe? Now, if they step on your toe and when they step on your toe, you tell them that and they look at you and say, it doesn't hurt. Be quiet mm-hmm. and they won't get off your toe. Then what will you do? Mm-hmm. You're going to do what you need to do to get them off your toe. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're causing me pain and the more you cause me pain, and you know you're doing it, mm. the less human that you are. Mm. So to get you off of my toe also brings you back to humanity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. makes you less of the monster. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the prophets of our day, the prophets of the Old Testament, and yes, even the prophets of the New Testament, mm-hmm. they were ones who saw the problem. Yes. They saw what it felt that they know what it felt like. Yes. And they say, you've got to get off of my toe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that if you won't get off my toe, God's going to get you off my toe. Yes. And I hope that God gets you off my toe by bringing you in. Yeah. But if not, God's still going to get you off my toe. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also knowing that. God wishes no one to perish. Right. That's the beauty of it. That's right. That's right. That God wants everyone to be in his kingdom. That's yes. the beauty of it. Yes. 
but there are some that choose not to. Mm-hmm. So when you think about um, one of my favorite folks is Nietzsche and most most you know evangelicals hate Nietzsche. Sure. Right. And they hate him for, you know, in their construction for good reasons. Mm-hmm. OK, he's you know, he's the same guy. God is dead. It's him. One of the things he, that he did, he was talking about this philosophy of violence mm-hmm. and this philosophy of peace. And he pins it in the God of violence and the God of peace. Yeah. And he says he understands Jesus. He understands God. God tells you, man, don't do to them what they've done to you, yeah. but love. And Nietzsche makes the conscious decision. I don't want that God. Mm. I would rather choose the God of violence, the God of military, the God of might than to choose the God who gets on a cross mm-hmm. and writes the wrongs that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone told him correctly what yeah. that God was about. Yeah. You got to respect a person right. who understands correctly what God is about and says, yeah. I-, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, what do you do with somebody? That's we right. always say, oh, once you throw it out there, everyone's going to come. No, 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 no. Nope. If you say the correct things about what Jesus, yes. what God is doing, yes. there are going to be some that say that messes up what I got going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why you have all this language on judgment, on revelation, yes. Yes. On, because there are truly some people. Who have been so captured by the powers and principalities who want the differences to remain right. that they are unwilling right. to serve a God who will say, let's come together on one accord. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, and, and I think you're so right about Nietzsche. Like he understood the gospel better than most Christians do. Oh, yeah. Um, and, 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 and I wish that we had that kind of clarity. But that for me, and, um, and that, that probably is a perfect place for us to land, like just that notion and it does make me really sad. I mean, I feel like it still is a narrow way, but not for the reasons we thought. Right. Not because it's like, you know, because people just aren't holy enough and don't want to live right or whatever. No, what it comes down to always, I think, it's the parable that Jesus tells about uh, the, the you know, the workers. Yeah. Um, the, the ones who come in the early part of the day and then the ones who get brought in for the last hour and he decides to pay them the same thing. Like that's always the scandal right there. Yeah. Is that people who think the system is working for them, hmm. and which is a whole other conversation. But if they yeah. think the system is working for them, and they see themselves as like, well, I, well, I try to work hard, keep the rules, or whatever. Like there's there's such a scandal to we all come in through the same door, and right. you don't get to be above anybody else at this table. Right. And and it, 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 it and it's just funny. I think the very things that people often say. Um, you just say those things because you're just trying to grow your thing and let everyone. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is how you shrink something right here <laughs> is that people don't want uh, God's mercy is way too radical. It's offensive yeah. to people. Yeah. You know, it's shocking to their sensibilities. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's that's so good. Um, I'd love to um, just before um, we close out here, Pastor, I would just love it for, you know, because we do want to be. I mean, we're new. We've been doing this for a couple months. We certainly want to be um, don't claim to be, but aspire to be a prophetic community. And I would love it because I do feel like in everything you shared tonight has been so anointed and powerful. And I love you. And, you know, not just what you say, but who you are and the, the spirit that this comes from that's so rooted deep. Like it's so, I needed this tonight. I would just love it if you would pray over us, sure. you know, for our people, for our community as we're on this journey. I'd want to offer, too, that any way that we can 
partner with you and your church and support you in what you're already doing. We understand that, of course, again, we're the new kids on the block here. And so much of what I love being about the core team at the table here um, is I've been able to come alongside people who are already doing these extraordinary things in the city. So we're not wanting to reinvent things. We want to get in where we already see God at work and just just plug into that. So I want to throw that out there, too. But I'd love if you could pray for us. Sure. Um, Before we pray, uh, one of those things that you can do. Uh, Julius Jones, mother and sister are members of my church. Yes. Yes. So if you don't know anything about Julius Jones, the last offense, the first thing, watch it. Watch Mm -hmm. the docuseries Two, get involved with that. Julius Jones, mother and his sister are members of my church. And he's on his last stretch for his life. That's what you can do for me immediately. Um, Since since that was brought up, I want to make sure that I put that out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cece, she's doing a wonderful job spearheading that. Uh, But we can always have more people uh, working uh, behind the scenes and in the front uh, getting that done. So I just wanted to do that shameless plug there. uh, But let us pray. And we say yes to that, by the way. (laughs) We're in. So seriously. Let us pray. God, you told us what you require. That we do justly and love mercy and walk humbly. God, we want to be the kind of people that we are ambassadors for your kingdom. Not for the politics of this world. Not for the fame of this world, not for the power of this world. But God, you told us in our weakness, you'll make us stronger, that you use our weakness, God, to do wonderful things. All of us have been abused or have been the abuser. All of us, God, have been divided with someone else. All of us have seen somebody else as other. And God, we ask for forgiveness right now. We ask you, God, to forgive us of our sin. Forgive this country of its original sin. Forgive this country of the sins that we continue to perpetuate. But God, also forgive our churches for our silence. God, I'm asking right now that you create a strong coalition here in this church. Let this table be the table for all. Let this group of people be a group of people who loves deeply. Who recognizes the pain of individuals and communities and seeks to work to eradicate those problems, those ailments. Allow this group not to take the road of power and prestige and self-indulgence, but to take the road where every once in a while you've got to dust your feet off, where every once in a while you find yourself at the table with tax collectors and prostitutes and unlearned folks and folks with no money and foreigners and children in cages and those in prison and undereducated youths and crying mothers, 
disgruntled fathers. I pray that this church be the church that you've wished for. Allow all of our churches to jump on the side of justice. For God, let us not claim justice for ourselves. Let us claim justice for others. God, remind us each and every day that the image of God that is in me is the same image that's in another. And in order for me to be human, I've got to learn to humanize another. God, we give your name praise for the leaves that will heal the nations. We give your name praise for salvation. We give your name praise, God, that instead of killing us, instead of judging us, God, you've saved us. And we don't take it lightly. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. More from Jonathan Martin. Go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support this podcast and help us keep going, go to patreon.com slash man, and we appreciate your support. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.